adults who've never spent a day on a farm. And this is, you know, very documented at this point in terms of the mental health benefits. And there's a, a, a multitude of ways in, in which that's how that's being facilitated to make you feel better, whether it's the actual uh, just time outdoors and the fresh air, seeing green, we know has a positive effect on the on the brain. We know that being in community has a positive effect. We know that just slowing down, uh, these are very measurable in terms of the, the stress levels that go down in the body when you're in a farm. You could be in an urban farm in the middle of the city with the horns blazing on the other side of the fence, but just being in that little oasis of nature changes us, changes our physiology. Welcome to the Fair Food Forager and Friends Show, a podcast where we mostly talk about the environment and our health and how they interact with each other, but also some things that you won't hear in the mainstream media. So let's investigate what else is happening, let's hear some alternate views, and let's make up our own minds. Fair Food Forager. Changing the way the world eats by making ethical easy. (laughs) That sounds like a very good idea. Fair Food Forager. Welcome to another episode of the Fair Food Forager and Friends Show, the podcast brought to you by the Fair Food Forager app, the world's only ethical social media and sustainable food directory. So you can use this food directory when you're on the road to find ethical and sustainable food. Cafes, restaurants, farmers, markets, bulk food stores who are reducing the impact on the planet by reducing waste, food waste, plastic waste, sourcing locally, finding organics, anything like that. And you can also share posts, recipes, food that you're growing, your appreciation of nature, your bushwalk, your beach cleanup, anything that helps each other and the planet. In today's podcast, I'm talking to Rob Herring. He is a filmmaker with a film that everybody needs to see called The Need to Grow. He has a website called Earth Conscious Life. He's a songwriter and he talks a lot about reversing chronic disease, that food is medicine, and about our interaction with nature. And of course, we are nature and we should be looking after it just as our body. We look after our body, it's diverse. We look after nature, it's diverse. And the two act hand in hand, don't they? And over the last few years, we've been taught that everything is like a one-size-fits-all solution for everyone. That's not the case. It's much simpler than that. We are part of nature. So without further ado, here is Rob Herring. Rob Herring, welcome to the Fair Food Forager and Friends Show. And thank you for 
agreeing to this and I just reached out to you out of the blue so you you didn't know me from a bar of soap as they say and and you've agreed to to do this podcast and I think you're somebody that I could probably do 10 episodes with because from what I've heard of your speaking and your films and your website I think we sort of agree on most things so obviously you're a filmmaker I believe you're a songwriter as well. You have a website, Earth Conscious Life. Tell us a little bit about yourself for people who don't know of Rob Herring. Yeah, thanks for having me, Paul. Uh, when I saw the work that that you were doing about foraging, I think that that was a green flag for me automatically that you're the kind of person that I would love to have a conversation with. And the the concept of of making food more accessible for people is really a big piece of of my work especially earlier in my career and the the films that i've done so uh recently i released a film called the need to grow actually it's been a few years at this point but that was a feature documentary about regenerating our topsoil which is as many people are starting to become more aware, is a really depleting resource and actually at the foundation of all life. And so when I was working as a food activist, I initially was approaching this issue because of my own health, my health issues. As a lot of people, I think, come up against roadblocks in their own life with themselves or their family members, they see that something is not quite being uh, conveyed to the general public in terms of education when it comes to not just our food system, but what are our options from a holistic health perspective? And the way that I look at it, you know, these are not binary discussions because when we say holistic health, I mean more integrative medicine, which of course incorporates the tools of conventional medicine or mainstream Western medicine and these modern technologies through pharmaceuticals and surgeries but of course there is something missing and many people realize that unfortunately the hard way but we're at a time right now where information is becoming more and more available and these discussions are happening and so what i found through my work was so much of the environmental uh issues they overlap the human health issues just like one on top of another it's it's really not even a venn diagram it's the exact same thing in my opinion and a big piece of that is food and so when my directing partner, Ryan Weirich, and I were first starting out on this process, we were initially thinking, you know, why are there so few young people engaged in the agricultural space? Why are there so few young people that are at these marches at the time when we were in our early 20s talking about GMOs at a time when no one knew what a genetically modified organism was? And of course, we were pointing a lot of fingers at companies like Monsanto, but we were watching a lot of these activists burn out, become really depressed, uh, suffering from the societal stigmas of people that are speaking out on fringe issues and not being taken seriously, um, often dismissed as, quote, you know, conspiracy theories, even these topics like genetically modified foods. At one point, you know, I went through that experience that that was just written off as crazy. Of course, years later, people started to wake up. Oh, wow, our food system is being genetically engineered. 
what's going on with that DNA? Why are these products all being made just so they can apply more of this toxic chemical called Roundup? And what are the implications there? And so we asked ourselves, how do we get more people interested in this? And I think what a lot of us realize is that the doom and gloom approach to the world you know, heading off of a cliff is not always the most attractive thing to uh, new audiences to want to to get them to want to be engaged. You know, there has to be hope. And it's not just about hope in a naive sense. It's about what are the steps forward? You know, tell me what I can do. If you just tell me that the planet is doomed and the forests are burning, that doesn't help me. After a while, I start to tune it out because I have no other option. I can't go and put out those fires, you know, raging uh, in the Amazon or, or wherever they may be. So what am I supposed to do about it as a consumer? And it's a question that you could sit with for a really long time. And there's infinite answers at this point. And so with the film, The Need to Grow, we asked ourselves, can we show stories of solutions? And a big piece of that, which I'm sure is a a part of the passion of your work, is how do we get everyday folks to feel that they can engage with their food system in a new way? And so it's not just about farmers. Uh, Hey, I'm not a farmer. Not my problem. It's no, we all eat. We all participate in the food system. And that's why it is really the direct connection between our human health and our environmental health in the biggest way is our food choices more than anything, seemingly. And it's not just about blaming the leaders, whether that be government or heads of corporations. It's okay. Well, we can write to our, you know, our congressmen here in the U S or we can sign these petitions over and over. And that has a place we can go to the marches and we can display our, our passionate cries and, and our anger. And that has a place too. But ultimately after that, How are we regenerating? What are we moving forward into the new future that we actually want to see? So that was the impetus for the need to grow. And we didn't know what we were going to find. Initially, we were searching around mostly the U.S., a little bit in Canada, for these, um, what we thought would be a little bit more interesting to an everyday person who wasn't interested in agriculture. You know, we wanted to expand the net, not just preach to the choir, but how do we get more people interested. So what are these technologies that might spark their interest, whether that's hydroponic, aquaponic, or rooftop gardening, or indoor agriculture, vertical farming. But as we went around looking for these solutions, you know, we had a big wake-up call in terms of the importance of our topsoil. And so we kind of did a a little bit of a 180 of what we thought the film was going to be. And it really became much more focused on making the science of the microbial existence within our soils as accessible as possible to the everyday viewer. And so I'd spent a lot of time, you know, tutoring and and uh, I, I've gotten into the psychology of how to simplify complex ideas. And I think we did that pretty well with this film because the science of soil, you know, if you were told, oh, you're going to watch a documentary on that, it might seem like you're about to fall asleep. But we tried to approach it from the hero's journey you know, inspired by films like Star Wars and and fantasy films and scripted feature films. Can we tell a story that way? Is it going to work? 
And with documentaries, many people know there's only so much you can control. I mean, you're showing what's happening. And for us, we got, uh, I guess, I'm not sure if lucky is the right word, but from a filmmaking standpoint, there was some interesting drama that unfolded in, in the stories of the characters that we were following. And so it turned into something much different than the average person would probably assume for a soil film. And it really focuses on these three different heroes at three very different scales of solutions. And the idea, I think, what what kind of was handed to us by the, 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 the serendipity of these stories was uh, a beautiful metaphor that you can get involved at any age, at any scale, no matter what resources you have at your fingertips. You could be a high-tech uh, you know, experienced software designer, inventor, innovator, or you could be a six-year-old girl who doesn't have financial resources, but just has a vision for her community and everything in between. <clears throat> and so we wanted to present what we think is really the blueprint from nature, which is that solutions are diverse and natural systems are always about biodiversity. And we see the same thing with health. It's all about bioindividuality. And in that sense, there is never going to be the one-size-fits-all approach. And so this idea of a silver bullet, uh, one of my friends you know, coined, I think came up with the term, the, the silver buckshot, which is really more of the not not to make a violent metaphor, but the idea that, you know, we have to plant a lot of seeds. It's not going to be one thing. And nature keeps reminding us of that, whether it comes to uh, monocropped, you know, monocultured farms that are more and more susceptible to collapse, whether it comes to removing the wildlife and the biodiversity on a piece of land and watching the resilience of that landscape degrade or whether it comes to our own health and coming up with one size fits all quote solutions that every person of every age and size and shape is supposed to uh, abide by when in reality we're all totally different and so this makes for very complex discussions and it's the nuance that is ultimately going to be the the success of our future it will not be everybody's got to do this because there is no one solution for every person um, for every region and for every company for every family for every household for every individual and so we wanted to inspire people because you know i'll say at the end of every one of our of our Q&As, we did a lot of screenings with this film in person, which is beautiful to get to interact with the audience. And it is always about what can I do is a question we get a lot. Like, what's the one thing, right? Everybody wants it to be simplified. And I totally get that. And ultimately, it's you got to do the one thing that you're not going to fail at. You're going to, you got to do, do the one thing that you are most close to 100% confidence you'll actually follow through over these next three days or whatever it is, whatever that commitment is. And whatever version of that solution is your baby step, that's the step that you take. So for some people, it is transforming their backyard into a food forest, pulling out their grass, planting native you know, uh, 
crops, native species. For some people, it's just growing a small garden bed. For some people, it's a little garden tower that they put outside. It costs, you know, a hundred bucks to put that up and it's all self-contained. For some people, it's growing food indoor with a little light because they know that it's a real easy solution. I can just turn that light on, water it. And for some people, it's just planting their first seed. And for some, it's just buying more organic food. You know, you have to start where you're at. <clears throat> and that's not an easy thing because everybody's going to have a different desire. Everybody wants to, to, to find something. So we just want to inspire people to take that next step. You know, for some people, it is just watch this movie maybe tonight and, and see, you know, if it inspires you. And it can go all the way up to these multi-million dollar technologies like the one that we feature in our film, which is presents some really powerful solutions for uh, recycling our waste into new soil. And so that's the that's the end game here is at the end of the year, no matter how you're farming, whether you call it organic or not, is there soil, is there more soil and healthier soil than at the beginning of that season? And if it's degraded, and you're doing that year after year, we're just depleting our ability to have a future, right? And so our whole economy at this point is backwards in that the, quote, growth of most uh, economies around the world is based on extraction. And it's a bit of a paradox. You have to grow by creating more of this gross domestic product which virtually all of it relies on some form of energy disruption and extraction. So we're depleting resources in the name of growth. And that is indeed a catch-22 with this system as it is. So the regeneration can actually be financially uh, scalable as well. And I think that's the, the transition that is going to have to happen because the system as it is from a financial standpoint has got its grips pretty deep in our world, in our society, in our version of reality. So to say we're just going to you know, rip that off and money doesn't exist, I don't know if we can get there. So assuming that money and economies still happen and greed will still exist in this world in one shape or another, how do we incentivize uh, more farmers and more companies to realize that, no, if you run out of this resource, you can't make money in the future. Or if you grow this food a certain way that is more valuable to the consumer, you'll actually make a premium. Or you as the individual, if you grow food a certain way at home, you're saving money. So you're, you know, it's lighter on your pocketbook. And I think we have to work within the within the confines of this system, um, you know, idealism is good to a point, but not if it doesn't get anything done. And so, you know, for me, I think that's been a, a long transition throughout my own career as an activist, which is grappling with, okay, idealism to a point, but the end game is, is seeing the needle move in the direction of regeneration. And so we have to play the game to an extent. Um, otherwise, we're just, you know, nothing's getting done. So that was a, a bit about the, the need to grow. And it's 
spun into lots of other discoveries for me on a personal level about the importance of the microbes in the soil and those the, the importance of microbes in our own human health. So I've become focused much more on gut health and how light works within plants and how photons work within the body. And we have another film coming out about that pretty soon. While you were speaking, I'm, I'm thinking about all the parallels with what I've been trying to do for the last 20 years as well. And I, I also, I made a film based on plastic actually, but instead of a depressing film with uh, dying turtles and, and strangled seals, we went on a journey through Southeast Asia and tried to show what people on the ground were doing over in Vietnam and Cambodia and just small, simple things that they were doing to educate people or clean up or whatever it was. And because I'm always, and, and you know, I think about the last couple of years, it's very hard to be positive. So you're trying, you, you're trying to alert people of what's happening at the same time, trying to find enough positivity so that they feel motivated to do something. I feel like the biggest issue with our health and the environment and our food is that we've outsourced all of that to some a government or a corporation or even now an international entity that we think someone is going to just take care of it or save us. And really what it is is we as you're saying there, we need to start taking responsibility, even if it's just knowing about where our food comes from or what the state of our local environment is. And we can do something about the local ecosystems where we live or talk to a local farmer or grow some food ourselves. So I think we're we're definitely on the same page there. Do you think that we're do you think that there is change? from films like yours are, are more people realizing that they have to start getting their hands dirty, which has other benefits as well. Yeah. I think that you sharing about your journeys around the world brings up an important point of how change happens, which is through experience. And what we found was when people do get their hands in the soil, they have a change in themselves. It's very powerful for kids. And if you can bring schools out into even an urban farm or a community farm, you know, this is eye-opening for children. It's often, you know, you see the kids that never knew the food came from the ground. I thought it came from the store, you know, it actually grows out of here. You know, it's just fascinating to watch that epiphany happen. But what also happens is in adults who have never spent a day on a farm. And this is, you know, very documented at this point in terms of the mental health benefits. And there's a, a, a multitude of ways in, in which that's how that's being facilitated to make you feel better, whether it's the actual uh, just time outdoors and the fresh air, seeing green we know has a positive effect on the on the brain we know that being in community has a positive effect we know that just slowing down uh these are very measurable in terms of the the stress levels that go down in the body when you're in a farm you could be in an urban farm in the middle of the city with the horns blazing on the other side of the fence but just being in that little oasis of nature 
changes us, changes our physiology. So I think getting the time there to participate and in the same way on your journeys, traveling with, you know, other countries that are dealing with some of these plastic issues that in the U.S. we unfortunately outsource a lot of our plastic issue and kind of ship it off to other countries that have to deal with it, which is really, uh, you know, telling of the out of sight, out of mind limitations that many in the first world countries have. It's just, I don't see it. It's gone. It's waste. I might put my garbage there. It just disappears. Somebody takes it. Right. So I think getting people to experience it is really important. Um, you know, on, on the mental health side of things, the, the soil bacteria is really interesting. Like you were referencing getting your hands in the dirt. Well, there's, for one, there's an electrical component where our bodies are bioelectrical. We know that grounding is not one of these woo-woo ideas that it's very, you know, rooted in science. We, we can see experiments in 45 minutes measuring people's blood before and after they're actually touching the soil. Uh, just night and day changes to the red blood cells. And a lot of that has to do with the uh, the electrical components of our blood and how the blood cells will latch onto each other when there is a lack of electrons. And so when we touch the earth, we get an unlimited supply of free electrons. It floods our body practically instantly. And so these blood cells that are supposed to be free flowing through our bloodstreams are really latching onto each other, almost like magnets that are attracting when in reality, they're supposed to have the zeta potential of repelling and pushing each other away from each other, like little bumper cars, so that they do purposefully flow through and not get stuck and not get clumped up. It's moving not just oxygen, but nutrients and revitalizing and healing your body and doing all the all the work that, that our body is supposed to do, right? Energy is motion. We, we, when we get stagnant is when we get disease. So touching a tree with your hand is not a hippy-dippy concept, you know, tree hugging. This is real science, and uh, it's pretty cool to watch over these last couple of years, especially as some of this stuff starts to infiltrate the mainstream narratives a little bit more where people acknowledge, wow, forest bathing. We know that spending time in the wild, in the forest, uh, can actually change your immune system. Even in a two hour walk, we have these things called phytoncides that are coming off of the trees. They're essentially the, the essential oils of plants that, that, you, that you really breathe in. So stopping and smelling the roses is also not uh, just to take a moment, but it's actually because this is changing your, your physiology and actually boosting your immune system. So we know spending time outdoors and and all this weaves into your question because if you can't get the experience there right away, for a lot of people, that first step is it's a lot easier to watch a, a story. And this is why storytelling will will never die and why it's so powerful. You know, books are incredibly powerful. Nowadays, just the accessibility of uh, experience is so much easier through videos, why we see it everywhere. You know, the use of video and film has exploded. Everybody's making videos. And it's because it's a way to connect. You know, you can find the, the connection to the humanity of these, quote, characters on the screen, even in a documentary, where you start to see yourself in these other people. So I think when we humanize people that are going through certain struggles, 
um, whether it's you on the ground, uh, I think you were visiting, was it, was it Cambodia or, or mm. Vietnam and, yep. you know, seeing, looking into the eyes of people that are living a very different lifestyle, maybe than you or I, but connecting and realizing that the shared humanity, now I can relate to it. Um, I can empathize with it differently. And I can also see myself participating in a solution there. And this is what happens when we watch documentaries, whether they're environmental documentaries or any kind of documentary that has kind of a character-driven story. You know, not so much the talking head stuff. It doesn't always drive the point home unless you've got a good storyteller that you're interviewing in a sit-down interview. But when you follow people on their journey and watch them deal with, uh, you know, the struggles of life and hopefully have uh, some sort of a, a triumph or an overcoming or you know, pushing through to the other side, then we see that in ourselves because we see the oneness, we see the the potential of ourselves to do that too. And this is why we we love being inspired. You know, the most watched videos on on YouTube or TikTok or whatever it is that get shared viral is because it's this feel-good story. We're all so desperate to see the potential of humanity, right? We want to know what is possible there. And in the same way, I think when we see the potential for regeneration, uh, some other films have done a better job than us, actually, in terms of showing befores and afters. John D. Liu is an incredible, um, he, well, he calls his, his organization the, the Restoration Camps. And what, what he does is he goes into, into places and he documents before and after when he restores the water cycle and you can actually watch the camera panning from one side to the other and then, you know, sort of slowly cross fading eight years later. And it's from a desert to this lush green Garden of Eden. And a great film that comes to mind is Biggest Little Farm. For those who haven't seen that, you know, maybe watch my movie first and then eat <laughs> grill and go watch that. But no, they actually work really well. Um you know, uh, as as like a not necessarily a double feature, but they they go together very well because in the biggest little farm you see that example where there's desertification and then regeneration in just a few short years, and people need to know this because the earth is designed to regenerate. Similarly, the human body is once we get out of its own way. So I, I draw a lot of metaphors between the planet health, the health of our soils, and then our, our own health and the health of our gut ecosystem or just the ecosystem of our whole body because we're poisoning both collectively and we're not giving ourselves the opportunity for regeneration usually in either scenario. And we're watching the health of people decline at the exact same time as the health of our ecosystems are declining. And when we participate in those acts of regeneration, it's a win-win because we start to feel better. You know, when you grow food, uh, when you do it in the right way, either on a smaller scale or a medium scale, or hopefully these types of ideas trickle out to the larger scales, where we realize that protecting the biodiversity is helping the farmers, keeping the poisons away from them. It's keeping those same poisons out of the waterways because rain or irrigation is going to take a lot of those 
nitrogen-based fertilizers or those toxic pesticides and put them in the rivers. And in the U.S., a lot of that contaminates and goes down into the Gulf of Mexico. We've got this giant dead zone the size of New Jersey. Uh, that's because these fertilizers, they're just not supposed to be there. So these are disrupted cycles. Then we've got the ability for water to even be stored in the soil. You know, forget the chemicals, but when that that biology is back there in the soil, when there is rain, that soil is supposed to hold it like a sponge. And when that soil is dead, when it has lost its organic matter, that water is going to not absorb into the sponge that's supposed to, and it's going to run off. And it's going to take with it the top layer of what is effectively dirt, and dirt being the antithesis of soil, soil being rich with microbial biodiversity. So when we look into this cosmos of the soil under a microscope in a little teaspoon of soil, you could have as many as 10 billion organisms, microbes, tens of thousands of different species dancing around, fighting, some of them in harmony, but ultimately working together in a system that we only understand, you know, the top scientists will say, maybe we we know 1% of what the hell's happening down there. So this is very humble, you know, it's, it's probably no surprise that the humus has the same root as humility. When we think back to the, you know, the humility of our lives do not work without this soil, without this little inch of topsoil um, and the ability to grow food out of it. And so what's promising is when we restore that organic matter, some estimates say when you increase that organic matter by just one percentage point uh, on an acre of land, you could hold 20,000 more gallons of water into that soil. So we want the water to be on the landscape. We want it to stay there so that it doesn't take all those nutrients and even those artificial fertilizers and just washing them down into the water system. So this makes the farm operate better, whether you're doing conventional or organic or regenerative or biodynamic or whatever we're calling it. You want that soil to be healthier because the farmer is going to be healthier. The people that eat that food are going to be healthier because the Food is hopefully free of chemicals or, or a reduction in those pesticides, and it's going to be more nutrient dense. And so the other piece of that is that extraction mentality. You know, there's no better picture of it than farming. All we do is pull, pull, pull out of the soil, but most of our systems are not actually putting anything back, right? So this is why compost is so important. And when we say regenerative agriculture, that concept is you have to put the things back to the soil so that it comes back to life so that it is regenerating. And you can think of it as the minerals and the vitamins coming back into the soil, because if you extract the magnesium or the uh, the iron or whatever those bioavailable minerals that we want in the right proportions delivered to us through nature's design of this crop of food, when those are gone, well, the food crops can continue to grow to a degree. Nature is very resilient, just like a, a human that is sick or eating Coca-Cola or drinking Coca-Cola and just eating fast food all day long, right? You know, you can live for a long time poisoning the heck out of your body. <laughs> uh, we're pretty astonishing in that way, right? But we'll, we'll be chronically ill, we'll be depressed, we'll be sluggish, we won't be optimized. 
And we can think of our plants that way. I mean, if we're just putting in these artificial limited fertilizers of nitrogen, potassium, phosphorus that are mostly synthetically derived from petroleum, if we're just putting in that limited skew, we're kind of pretending that, oh, okay, you know, several decades ago, science figured out these are the only things that a plant needs. We figured it out. Oh, as if there's not this infinite, you know, complexity to what really was going on in the natural world. But when we give it that opportunity to return back to nature, you know, we want those those crops to be filled with the, the richness of the, the diversity of those vitamins and minerals. And right now, a lot of the crops that we're getting in the grocery store, I think of as almost silhouettes of what they once were. It looks like the shape of a broccoli, but it doesn't have the vitamins and minerals. So you're kind of eating a, an empty shell. There's fiber there, but many people now know that these these levels, uh, I, I, I don't know, some of this is debatable. People will say, oh, this this study or that study. But the fact is, you know, do, do I have to eat eight, or eight oranges now as as uh, to get the same amount of vitamin C or something as my grandparents did? Whether it's to that degree or not, it, the point is it's depleting and it's heading in the wrong direction. Now, that's not true on every farm in the world, but it's probably true for most of them. But there are farmers that are realizing how they can actually put those those minerals and vitamins back into the soil and allow that soil to then be the vessel for the plants. And so my you know permaculture friend and, and guru, Larry Santoyo, always used to say, um, you, you don't have to grow plants. You just have to be a soil manager. And if you think of yourself that way, the plants happen. You know, healthy plants can't not happen when you're properly managing the soil because you just put those seeds there and nature does its thing. You know, we've all probably seen the tree that breaks through the concrete or the little sprout coming out of the sidewalk. It's like it wants to grow. You know, it wants to find a way. All you have to do is create those conditions. And if we think of soil management instead of of growing food, we will have, a, I think, a better outlook on a much longer term, uh, more sustainable life of, uh, of, of how we can you know, really provide for this number of people and the potential growth of people that are, are seemingly happening on this planet. And so, you know, the, the word sustainability is overused right now, but we have to remember that if it is unsustainable, usually what somebody's getting at is that there is an expiration date at the current rate that we're depleting it. And so the only way forward is through regenerative practices. And I think we have to recognize that this is not a fringe idea to protect nature, to regenerate our world. And this is not just for those nature lovers of, you know, that one guy in your group of friends who's obsessed with the outdoors. This is every living species on the planet type of stuff that we're talking about. So we either figure it out or nature is going to slap us back and say, well, you don't belong here. Uh, you can't stay because if you just extract to the point of no return, I'm going to force you to change. Uh, so you can either do it gracefully or in total chaos. And we have the tools to do that. 
I always like to say that the solutions exist. It's just that the most important solution right now is, is the communication. Because we have these people that are doing this technology. And when I say technology, it doesn't just mean computer chips, AI, and, and wires, and electronics. Technologies can be ancient technologies. Um, you know, how to manage livestock efficiently or how to regenerate and do sustainable, truly sustainable forestry. You know, these technologies, people know how to do. It's just that they're up against agendas of, of um, either corporate interests that aren't looking to do it that way because they have a different bottom line that they're going for, um, or just the uh, inability for society to, to have these types of discussions to the level that they really do deserve to be had. You know, if we can't communicate because we have so much social division and we have so much name calling and identity politics that it it's getting to the point where the best idea in the world, if it comes from the opposing side, everybody's going to find a way to say that it's crap. Right. And so this is where we're at, I think right now. And, um, Ultimately, I'm, what I'm realizing is that that communication factor is actually the biggest environmental solution. Because if we don't have mental health, mental wellness solutions happening, then everybody's depressed and fat and sick and tired. No one's going to actually do the work um, if they don't want to save this planet. Um, and the second piece being that, you know, if we can't actually work together, or, you know, and it, and it doesn't have to be that you love everybody. It's just, you know, you could be unthrilled about other parts of their uh, personality and have differences of opinions and see things from, from a whole different viewpoint. But these shared concepts, I think, are, are really the future. You know, how do we find the, the similarities amongst us, right? Celebrating the diversity because that is nature. And at the same time, finding the, the, the oneness that we share, because when we say, hey, wait a minute, I don't care what, what uh, person you voted for or what political party you're, you're in. Do you eat? Do you, do you like to breathe? Do you, do you drink water? Do you want your family to have access to that? Okay, cool. So together, we both really want to reduce pollution of, of natural waters, right? Awesome. Okay. Together, you know, no matter what type of food you eat, or if you identify yourself based off of your diet and call yourself a blank because of the way that you eat a certain way. Okay, great. We all probably want to reduce the destructive animal agriculture models, this industrial system that is absolutely terrifying. No matter if you consume meat or not. Right. So let's find these shared uh, values and start there. But this is like a spiritual journey that we're talking about. I mean, these are, you know, spiritual changes that, that, that most of us probably have to arrive at in one way or another, where we stop vilifying the people that have different opinions and we give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Even if we're so certain that they're confused, we recognize that they probably 
aren't evil at the root of what they're doing. They're probably doing it for, you know, to preserve themselves or their family, even if it's greedy, but they're really trying to do their best. In, in most cases, there's probably a few exceptions of actual psychopaths, but <laughs> the vast majority of people that are arguing with each other, like say, <clears throat> you know, on an Instagram post, if they were sitting in a room together, they might actually have an opportunity to say, you know, you arrived at that because of the conditions that you were in. I arrived at this based off my conditions. And I can see that you actually want to do the right thing. Like you want to do what's best. You had a different value that you were focusing on. So it might've been a total, a total antithesis of a path that you chose from what I would have done, but you want to do the right thing. I think if we get through a lot of the noise and can, can see that in each other, um, this is when the real magic is going to start to happen. You know, when you see yourself in someone that you, you vilified and Unfortunately, the the technology algorithms right now are really going to work against this because the passion of fear and anger is always going to drive the engagement. And so these things are pretty paradoxical to our, our spiritual growth as, you know, a lot of us, we're, we're all in this experiment right now. If we used one of these platforms, whether it be Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, we're the, we're the test subjects. What happens to a society when they have this type of tool? You know, a lot of us get to engage and connect like this conversation wouldn't have happened without those tools. I've met some of my greatest friends. Uh, I met the, the woman I'm going to marry because of some of these tools through technology. I, I've gotten great business opportunities and partners but at the same time, we all know there's a downside to the the incessant uh, fear and triggering. And those are the things that are going to get the most engagement. And then these tools kind of keep showing us our own little siloed version of the world. And so that's a that's a question that, you know, I certainly don't have the answer for it. No one probably does yet. But I think it just needs to be on all of our radars of, you know, how do we use these things more intentionally where we reap the benefits of some of the connectivity around the world from the Internet, but don't fall victim to, um, you know, the, the, the inevitable traps of of the way that fear and division are evolved into our brains, really, because... You know, if we were evolving on this planet in a tribe in the early days of humanity, your survival depended upon you fitting in. If you said something that was in so such conflict with the tribe to the point where they cast you out and said, get out of here, and you're pushed out to go live in a cave by yourself, you probably won't make it. You're probably going to die. And so I think there are these deep core human programs in our in our neurology that are always terrified of uh, not fitting in because it's a survival mechanism right you know if if who who the hell wants to be abandoned i mean this is like mm. this could be deep core 
child wounds that some of us have from, you know, it doesn't have to be um, seemingly on paper as dramatic or traumatic, but all of us have these fears in one way or another. And so when our friends or our family or our lovers or our colleagues are starting to give us signals that they may abandon us or we perceive it as such, yeah, we, you know, most of us are, are going to be terrified. And so this tribalism is what I'm getting at, is that we will almost always inevitably have this baked into our DNA that if we stick together as a group, you know, those other people on the other side of the hill are kind of in opposition to us because we are this group and therefore they are outsiders. And so are they going to threaten us? Are they going to come for our stuff? And we're just, we're living through this right now in such a, such a scary way as you see the, the divisiveness being exploited more and more that I do wonder like how, how will we ever arrive at, you know, is there, is there anything that we all <laughs> agree on to a degree? Like, and not that everybody has to agree, but sometimes I just, I, I see this, this pushback um, because there's always interests uh, and then there's always somebody that's going to come in and, and hijack the situation, no matter what, no matter how much good something is doing, uh, there's there's always a counter to it. Nowadays, I, I, I mean, I'm just I get surprised by like things that I thought were the best deeds that someone does, but it, then then it gets criticized for exploiting someone. I mean, I've seen what to me is the wildest accusations of all time. You know, someone doing good deeds, and now it's oh, this rich rich person is you know. Uh, exploiting someone who had less than them and it, it's it's it just it, it just it shocks me nowadays how everything could be twisted so i don't even know where that leads us other than you know reconnecting to people probably in the real world as much as possible i think is a good balance to that uh, to the point of the the uh scariness of of our digital world, that's even more of a reminder that we have to have that balance. And so meeting in groups is always going to be profound. Volunteering, getting to a community garden if you can't do anything else. Volunteering a day on a farm. I mean, there's some farmers that are like, hey, it's just too much work to, to retrain new people all the time. But you'll always find some sort of a farmer who will gladly take, you know, an afternoon from you to help them out. And those opportunities are so valuable for your growth and you don't have to pay to do it. Now, some people might say, well, I should be getting paid to do it. But the fact is you're, you're going to be paid just in, in ways other than money. And we see that time and time again with anybody that spends time out on a farm. It's like, this is, this is, such a, a beautiful gift for me because I've been inside too much and staring at screens all day. And uh, everybody's desperate for that. It, there, there are some fundamental, some fundamental elements when we grow a plant or take care of something. When you eat food that comes fresh off the farm, 
So to, to sort of tangent into this, this next film that we have, it's called Pharmacy of Light, pharmacy spelled with an F. We're getting into the science of biophotonics and how light works in plants. And what, what we're really emphasizing now is the freshness of food. Because for a long time, I think the big piece of it was the contamination and the, to the toxic pesticides that are on your food. But it can be grown in the best way of all time. But it, when it takes a couple days to get to even a grocery store um, or it's ripened along the way or picked before ripe, a lot of the most healing compounds of food are lost. And in the need to grow, there's a, a quick moment where... Eric Cutter, one of the farmers, breaks open a romaine and you see this white, milky substance come out of the bottom of the romaine leaf. And it's gone in from romaine in about 24 to 48 hours. You'll, you'll never see it practically at a supermarket. Maybe on a farmer's market, if you're lucky, but even then sometimes it's hard to find. But that substance is some of the most rich anti-carcinogenic compounds that are of in, in that plant. And it's that life force energy. What a lot of people used to think of as, you know, the life force of food, oh, you got to drink the juice within the first couple of minutes that you juice it. Well, yeah, it's going to oxidize. But another element of that that we're learning is the this photonic component, photon meaning light. And so we know that photosynthesis is happening in the plants. It's absorbing these light packets but how is that stored? How is that energy stored? And what is the significance, you know, for us as consumers? Well, the significance is that our body is made of light as well. And this is very provable. You can actually measure the light output of your body. I mean, it, we can't see it. It's so subtle. But if you were in a pitch black room, it can actually be measured of the photons that are emitting from your body. And inside of our cells, they're transmitting this this light energy and it's another one of these uh humbling things because we don't really know enough about what's happening there and it starts to get into quantum physics which for anybody that has ever you know fiddled around with the the essence of quantum physics knows that it's mostly about paradoxes that don't make sense with the rest of the world and what's so cool about that is it just reminds us that we know almost nothing about the universe. The rules of physics that we thought, you know, were hard rules. And then quantum physics says, no, it actually can do the opposite of that and break all the rules under certain conditions. It's like that shouldn't be possible. And I, I find that stuff so cool because there's really what we're starting to think of as quantum biology. You know the quantum physics that are happening within our our own cells and the light that is happening within our own cells is a key indicator of our health and so this idea of being enlightened is actually you know getting back to the concepts of uh, ancient medicine like meridians or like this what acupuncture is really tapping into is to move those energy systems well that energy ultimately is really light and light is moving through us and in, in many different forms. But this flow of light is so critical. And now we have Western science catching up to our 
the impacts of light deficiency. And it's not just any light, it is natural light. And many people may have heard of red light or red light therapy and why that's important. And so we touch on a lot of those, those elements coming up in this next film, but I think it's a, uh, the next big wave of focus for human health. I think, um, whether or not I want to call it a trend or not, I don't love that word, but the idea is that people are going to start to pay attention more and more to sunlight as a, you know, a giver of health, believe it or not, that, you know, maybe we didn't evolve on a planet where just existing would have given us skin cancer. Maybe we didn't get the whole story there on sun being dangerous. And you know, the only way to, to exist would have been to cover ourselves with these carcinogenic, you know, creams to protect ourselves. Now, obviously you have to do it in proportion and be safe, just like with anything, you know, you don't want to burn, but why are we burning and what can you do to prevent yourself from burning? What, how do you get healthy sunlight exposure and what does that do to your body? And so it's not just vitamin D, which many, many of us think of, you know, we do synthesize the sunlight into vitamin D, but there's so much else at play, especially when we watch early light, like around the sunrise and sunset, we're actually getting those more oranges and red colors. And so this whole science of red light therapy, people can think of it as almost mimicking the sunrise and sunset because we evolved not in houses, obviously. We evolved to experience that, to see that, right? So we want to return back to as much as the way that nature designed these things. And we start to realize that through those uh, interactions with, with natural light, so much of our physiology changes, like our hormones, um, you know, the the ability for our brains to function, our, our ability to actually make decisions changes when we just spend even a couple of minutes in the morning light. Um, it's, it's, it's too many benefits really to list because it kind of resets everything. And it makes a lot of sense when you think of these cultures that would have worshipped the sun because, hey, this is the thing that is directly responsible for any of this happening. So I've become a little bit of a heliophile, which is somebody that is in love with the sunlight. And uh, it's getting harder in the, in the winter months in the north of, of Montana up here. But, you know, it, it, it's a reminder of even more powerful, or it reminds me even more how powerful the sun is and how much of a role it can play because you can change your, your outlook. You can change your health by interacting with nature again you know, mm. getting outside, like we talked about with the forest bathing, getting our hands in the soil. So we get this mycobacterium that actually boosts our serotonin, um, you know, getting that proper sunlight, getting that spring water, really all of the elements of nature are kind of our guideposts. The more that you can interact with them as nature designed, the more your body's going to be optimized as nature designed. That's kind of become my philosophy. And, um, it's, it's just so fascinating to take these ancient principles and now match them to the research that's happening to quantify it or validate it in modern technology. I think it's, it's an amazing time 
because we can share this message and, and really now prove that these ideas that people practice for thousands of years, um, it was not some, you know, uh, we weren't just waiting around for the time when modern medicine would show up. It was, it's actually the opposite. We've lost mm. our way. You know, mm. we, we need to return back to that. And you can use those things as tools, just like any of it. It can work in harmony. You know, we're not going to all go and live in the woods and cut ourselves off from the internet and never interact with a screen again, even though that's how our bodies evolved. But the idea is, you know, how can we move forward in this new world without completely losing touch with what it means to be a human? for listening this is the end of part one we'll be back with part two very soon with rob herring where we talk more about decentralizing everything about growing our own food about our connections to nature about reversing chronic disease through living more naturally how we were meant to live how we evolved and we've kind of lost our way in the last say 100 years or so Food is medicine, nature is medicine, we're part of nature. If we drop all these one-size-fits-all solutions that the authorities have led us to believe is all there is, we can all live healthier lives, we can live with nature, and we can all look after our own health, look after nature. That's really as simple as it is. It sounds really complicated, but it's not. We are nature health is nature if you want to find out more about what rob is up to you can find him at the rob herring on instagram you can look up his website which is earth conscious life and i really encourage you to watch his film the need to grow and uh yeah i'll see you next time bye don't forget to download the fair food forager app it's also here to help you find ethical and sustainable food and food that is organic, local, supporting small businesses, reduced plastic packaging, anything really to help support you and the planet. And you can share good news stories, learn from each other, and just feel good for a change about the future and what we can do to help each other and the planet. If you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to hear more, please subscribe where you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review it, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts, and share it with your friends. Thanks again to Ash Grunwald. This song is River from the album Now. Until next time, bye.
Geld. Das ist 